0: Thanks for listening to audio from Rockhaven Church. For more information on our ministry, please visit us at our website at www.rockhavenchurch.org. Uh, it is that uh, place and point in time uh, in the year. As Joel introduced, uh, we wrapped up Mark last week. And so we are about to embark on a new adventure, a new journey, if you will. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we are going to talk about what Rock Haven believes and why. Okay, and uh, so we're going to um, we're going to start uh, this uh, this journey uh, together in Second Corinthians chapter five. Now that you have your Bible open, right? And as uh, we continue in worship, I'd ask, would you please pray with me, Heavenly Father? We have our Bibles open, uh, Lord, because we acknowledge that we are dependent upon you certainly to save us, but also to lead us and guide us. And each and every one of us are unashamedly waiting for You to be about a work through Your Word in our lives. Lord, I thank You for each and every person that has gathered here and set time aside specifically to see what it is that You want to do in their lives. And I would ask, Lord, that You would continue to be about a work in me, removing the the fog in my mind and and giving me clear thoughts so that I might be on Your page and that I might not add or detract from Your Word. For we believe that your word is a precious gift to it, to us. By your word, we know who we are and we know who you are. We know the solution to our sin through your son, Jesus. And what's more, your word leads and guides us into how our lives ought to live. And so, Lord, we'd ask, use this time that we dedicate as an, a specific act of your worth to us. Make this our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as of um, August... My family and I celebrated um, our 17th year in the community of Granite Falls. 17 years. If you need me to, I will translate that uh, into another time frame that you might understand. That means that we have been here since 3 BC. We measure everything before Cooper, right? So, So... We were here three we got here three years later, Cooper was born. So we've been here since 3 BC, but for 17 years we were here. And So uh, as I said, we're going to look at uh, the core values of Rock Haven. but this morning we're going to do something a little bit unique, and that is, is that we're going to look at what does it mean to be an ordinary people compelled by an extraordinary God. You've seen that before, haven't you? Yeah, that's purpose statement of Rockhaven Church. i got the cheater notes right here on my shirt. Ordinary people compelled by an extraordinary God. What that means and why. And part of the reason why we're going to repeat this is because as we grow, as our church family grows, more people need to know about that, and they need to know what that means. Because it is important and it it's imperative to participants in this ministry that while we enjoy our fellowship with one another, and we enjoy a great music team, and we enjoy fantastic cookies and coffee, we ought to know what we believe and why. And we also ought to know what difference that makes in our lives. Because each and every one of us are here, shape, form, right? I mean, because of what Rockhaven believes. The things that we are doing are a direct result of what we believe and what the Bible teaches. And so we want to share that and grow in that with one another. It's entirely imperative in the world that we live in today, to know what it is that we believe in a world who is growing further and further away from a biblical understanding. As we go through our core values, we're going to continue to talk about a biblical world view. Okay? If those of you who have not heard the phrase biblical worldview, a worldview is simply a framework from which any person would view reality and make sense of the world and their own lives. That's what a worldview is. Everybody has a worldview, whether you're conscious or subconscious. You, you, there are a world that we all have worldviews. We all have some sort of worldview. And by those worldviews, Right? They become the driving force, driving force for every emotion, decision and action in our lives. It's true. Case in point. Every two-year-old has a worldview. Every two-year-old believes that the entire world revolves around them. Wait a minute. Actually, that's true. I remember those days. <laughs> it all does revolve around them, right? No, you know, that's a a secular humanist, right? They will believe that everything in life, the only thing that matters are those things that are materially present. And so they will conduct their lives in accordance with all of those things. This is what worldviews do. But for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and desire to grow in our love and hope and peace and joy with Him, God calls us, right, to have a biblical worldview so that in everything about our lives, every decision, every action, every motive of our lives is is shared because of what God's Word says. Did you know that in the United States of America today, and this information is as of 2020, as of 2020, Barna reports that in the United States of America today, Only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. 6%. In evangelical churches, which we are a part of, right? Part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. In evangelical churches, that number is higher, but it's only 22%. 22% of people who attend evangelical churches have a biblical worldview. These numbers are down by 50% in 25 years. That means in the last 25 years, we have gone from 44% of the uh, evangelicals in churches having a biblical worldview down to 22%. We've gone from 12% to 6% in all of the United States. Just so you know, moms and dad, that number for students between the ages of 16 and 29, Barner reports that students between the ages 16 and 29 in the United States of America, only 2% have a biblical worldview. They don't know what the Bible says. They don't understand what it teaches or why as we go through and and grow it is our 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 desire to help people grow in an understanding of that biblical worldview why why are these numbers shrinking i believe that there's a number of reasons why these These are shrinking, and in the days and weeks ahead, as we go through our core values, we're going to talk about God's sovereignty as our hope and our foundation, and what that has to do with our biblical worldview. We're going to talk about the absolute truth of God's Word as the final authority in our lives, and what that has to do with our biblical core values. And of course, we're going to take all of these things, not just in cliche phrases, but in accordance with Scripture, in accordance with God's wisdom, and the difference that He wants to make in our lives, and begin applying it so that we see ourselves, and we see God, and we see the world the way He intended it. For some of the reasons why this diminishing worldview is taking place, it's quite frankly on the church. A lot of people, a lot of people are abandoning what God's Word says for the sake of making other people happy. Consequently, you don't educate people in God's Word, and they can't grow in God's Word. Another reason is the screaming culture. Right? In our precious time, if we do not take the time to spend in God's word and the culture through media and through movies and everything else is screaming all kinds of other wisdom at us, inevitably we'll glob on to some of it. Still, I think there's a third reason. I think the third reason is a growing number of people just don't care. And that breaks my heart. Okay? But not here. You each have set time aside to grow, to seek God, and to ask His counsel, and to wonder what difference He wants to make in your life, and for what reason that He might use each and every one of us, because we know the love of Jesus. Will you look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. As it is with um, all launches and and kind of restarts, we're having problems with clocks. Uh, So, you know, if all of a sudden it's like getting to be quarter to two and I'm still talking, but you hear that? Quarter? No. Right? If you start getting a little long, throw something at me. Okay? If you disagree with me, hold it. We'll talk more about it later. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, therefore... Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Part of the reason why the church has a declining biblical worldview is because people don't understand the phrase fear of the Lord. I'm going to take you to, you don't have to look there, but you might want to write it down to a Proverbs. It's Proverbs 10 verses 9 and 10. And in Proverbs 10 verses 9 and 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of God's Holy One is understanding. Did you hear me? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of God's Holy One is understanding. Yeah, we live in a world today, and I've heard people say, no, 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 no. You don't have to fear God. God loves you. He loves you. Although you remember when I said, knowing the fear of the Lord, therefore, it said earlier in verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. We're all going to stand before God. Right? Therefore, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We are each and every one of us accountable to Him and to Him alone. And the fact of the matter is, God is holy. God is powerful. God is just. And as I read earlier in Isaiah chapter 43, He's the one who saves. He's the one that keeps. He's the one that guards. And in His power, we should revere. We should fear. But He sent His Son Jesus. Right? That's just the beginning. He sent His Son Jesus And he so loved the world, right, that he sent his son that whoever would believe would have an opportunity to grow in understanding. Understanding. So the fear of the Lord. Therefore, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Persuade others to what? Persuade others to see God correctly. Look at the rest of the verse. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it's known also to your conscience. (laughs) <laughs> what are we? We are a bunch of cracked pots, right? We are. We're all just a bunch of crackpots and you laugh but you're the biggest crackpot here. Oh. Right. No, we all we all are crackpots and I say that I don't make that up because if you would look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 beginning in verse 7. It says but we all have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Yeah let does it say? We all have this treasure. The treasure of what? The treasure of the gospel. We all have the treasure of gospel in our lives, but our lives are just like plain old, plain old jars of clay. That's it. What's a jar of clay? It's just an earthen vessel, right, that cracks easily and is used for everyday things. It's ordinary. That's us. It's just an ordinary clay pot. But we have this treasure in clay pots, and sometimes clay pots crack, and then through those cl- cracks, Right, It just shines the bright power of God that is alive in our lives. A living testimony of the difference that God is making. Okay, So when we are ordinary people compelled by an extraordinary God, an extraordinary God is a God who is holy, who is righteous, who is to be revered, who is to be feared, who is to be trusted, who is to be waited upon, who is to be worshipped and brought glory to. And who are we? We're just ordinary people. And He knows that. And he chooses to work anyway. Look with me, if you will, then, in verse 12. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. Uh, excuse me. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. <laughs> Okay, a little history lesson, a little history lesson. Uh, you know, the church in Corinth is kind of being plagued by a number of different things, but one of the one of the naysayers to the gospel at this time that the letter of 2 Corinthians is written is these people are all, they're all kind of, you know, they're very much into the, the Socratic conversation of thought and of wisdom. And so someone would stand up on the steps in any Corinth, you know, uh, Corinth corner in town and pontificate their wisdom and share, you know. And so as they were doing it, they would judge whose presentation was better. And in that, you know, again, the context of many of the things that we're looking at today. It's not about who presents a message better. It's not a matter of whether I tell you just the things you want to hear. Paul's saying, he says, look, I know There's people in the world that think the message of the gospel is a a bunch of hooey. And they want us to tell them what they want to hear. And so a little tongue-in-cheek he says, if you think we're out of our minds, yeah, it's for God. But if we're in our right mind, if I'm telling you what you want to hear, then the only thing I'm doing is trying to tell you what you want to hear, and there's no gospel in that at all. I like in that that when we go through Scripture together and we're looking at things on a Sunday, there's going to be some things that stretch us. I'm going to tell you, hey, you know what? You have an enemy. God's Word says you ought to love him. And you're going to be like, oh, no, you don't know him like I do. Right? If I go through and I say, God's Word says you need to forgive. And you say, are you kidding? She? Fill in the blank. But no, God's Word says. And this is the beginning of a biblical worldview, living out our faith and the difference that God wants to make. And so there are some things that just seem, wow. But remember what we said. We are ordinary people being compelled by an extraordinary God. Don't you think that His wisdom is going to be something different than our own if we are ordinary and He is extraordinary? Yeah, absolutely. And so this is nothing new. But it is something that we need to share. Look with me at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. For the love of Christ controls us. You may have the NASB Bible, you may have an NIV Bible. Uh, Your translation may say, instead of saying controls us, it might say compels us, compels us. We are ordinary people, compelled by an extraordinary God. We are ordinary people in whom the love of Christ motivates us and moves us to do other things, right? Paul's saying the love of Jesus is to have an effect on our lives. Yet in the world we live in, and you've heard it in many different circles, they think the love of Jesus is the end result and permission to anything in your life. It's not the blanket you can have your cake and eat it too. The love of Jesus begins a process by which His love compels. Because we are loved by Him, we are enveloped, we are wrapped, we are moved. That word compel, that word control, is actually like a harness. It's like a harness. And you would never put a harness on a sled dog and then put him to bed. Right? You bring out that harness and you put it on your sled dog because there's work to do. That's the love of Jesus. God has shared his love with us because there is something that we are called to do. Not to abuse his love so that we can do whatever it is we want to do. Uh, We're going to come back to verse 15. Look with me now at verse 16. Uh, Yeah, verse 16. From now on, therefore, and that is because of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, in light of what God has done through His Son, Jesus, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Because earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 14, right, Paul wrote is that the things that we can see, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen, they last forever, okay? So the things that are seen, that's temporary, and the things, that last, the, the things that last forever are unseen. That means that we need to begin to see things differently. How is it that we need to see? We need to see like God sees. And in order to be able to see like God sees, you need to have biblical wisdom as your view. Without it, you don't see like God sees. Okay? So well, I don't understand the, the things that are seen are temporary, the things that are unseen. Are, right? Yeah, well... That's okay, but still, with our understanding it or not understanding it, it's still true. And this is what we need to grow with. We need to grow in how we see things, and how we should see things, how we see our wives, how we see our husbands, how we see our neighbors, how we see our friends, how we see our co-workers, how we see those who are hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ, in accordance with how God does. Now, what's interesting, look at it. verse 15. He says, No, we know, uh, regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, and we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciled to God through Jesus. (laughs) Whenever I see the word reconcile, I always think of reconciling the checkbook to the bank. Right? Yeah? There's only one person I know who, uh, excuse me, there's probably lots of people, but in my own life, it's my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law uh, will reconcile her checkbook anytime, anyplace. And as she's reconciling her checkbook, she has found mistakes the bank has made. She has! Not Tammy and I, when we reconcile our checkbook, it's, we're still broke. <laughs> but the bank, right, the bank has a record, okay? And so it is God's work, right, to reconcile us to himself. I'm going to attempt something that I attempted in the first service. We'll see if it goes well. This is what God intended for your life. Okay, it's just a, it, ladies and gentlemen, it's a prop. Okay, don't none of the fans it's a plain old piece of paper. Okay, this is what God intended for your life. This this piece of paper, perfect, whole, white, beautiful. Okay, that's what God intended, but that's not what our lives are. That's what sin does to our lives, okay? That's, that's what sin does to our lives. And, and knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing God's wisdom, knowing that sin's a problem, we, we need a miracle. We need a solution. We need to get right with God. So then in our own efforts, what we do is get out the scotch tape and we start putting those pieces together and holding our lives together Right? And that's beautiful, isn't it? Now, I thought about going and getting some tape, like that clear see-through tape, so you guys couldn't see the scars, but it still wouldn't be the same, would it? Yeah. So, in our own effort, what do we read in 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 4? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power is not ours, but God. See, in Christ Jesus, God has done a miraculous thing. A little bit later in this text, it's going to say, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become something different. This is what the world is trying to do in its own wisdom, taking the destruction of sin and putting it back together to hold it in some way. But God says, if you will trust Me, and you will believe in my Son, in whom I sent to destroy sin once for all, then you will be reconciled. Reconciled. Whole and complete to God. That's the work that He does in our lives. And what's more is He doesn't just include us in His Son. Okay? Okay? I'm gonna use the 70 phrase. You good with that? You got some people who have gone up and grown up in the 70s, right? This, this, this being perfect, it's it's quite righteous. <laughs> right? Yeah. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But God's included us, He's included us in His Son. And what it is is that all of those All of those tears and all of those rips and all of those things that were our lives are now hidden because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. Our lives are now included in God through Christ. Our lives included in God through Christ. We are reconciled, whole, made one. That's what He does for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What's more, He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. It's not a one-sided deal. There's something else going on. Will you continue and look with me uh, at verse, um, uh, the rest of verse 19. Uh, excuse me, verse 18. All this is from God who could reconcile us to Him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, 19, that is that in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And again, why are these numbers going backwards so fast? Because if you only 25 years ago still only had 44%, we're just going to look to ourselves, okay? 44% of evangelicals that held a biblical worldview, if 44% were the only ones that knew, and that meant uh, that that 56% of people didn't know what the Bible said or didn't know that the Bible included us in a ministry, in a message of reconciliation, if you don't have a biblical worldview, what do you share with people? Right? Right? How can you how can you be a participant in the ministry of in a message of reconciliation if you don't know what it is? And so we need to grow, and we need to destroy this consumerism mentality that says, "Well, I go to church to get something out of it for me." You know, I've recently changed my prayers for you. <laughs> I suppose I should tell you all this. You know, and that is, is that when I, you know, we always, pray, dear God of heaven, please bless the people of Rock Haven. Right, that's a good prayer. As long as your understanding of blessing means that, Lord, be at work in their lives in ways that you know that they need, right? But I've recently changed that. And I've recently changed, dear God of heaven, please enrich the lives of the people that are in the ministry of Rockhaven. What I mean by that is that God would, you know, the enriching would be the encouragement and the equipping that each and every one of us need for the spheres or influence in the lives of other people that God has given us. That each and every one of us needs to be equipped, we need to be encouraged, we need to be trained, we need to grow, we need to grow in our understanding of God's word. But then, what's more is then because we have a message of reconciliation, we need to share it with other people. And I want to share that with you. Look with me. Continue on, if you would. Look at verse twenty. Look at verse twenty. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great exchange. The great exchange of God is this. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He takes our sin and exchanges it for the right actions of Jesus Christ. That's what He does for us. That's, that's, what he did. That's, that's our understanding of the Holy One. That's, that's what God calls us to to grow in our understanding of what He's done for us. That the great exchanges is, is He takes all those pieces and He includes us in the righteous actions of the Son. That's, that's what He's done out of the measure of His love. And His love envelops us. And what's more then, the Bible says, we become ambassadors. As though God was making His appeal for us. My brother-in-law, Tammy's oldest brother, Chris, works for the State Department of the United States of America. He is a, and I don't even, I can't even remember his titles. He's like the the chief secretary of the ambassador or something. whatever, Whatever Chris's title is, okay, whatever. Okay? I'm a pastor. No, but. He works for the ambassador, and the ambassador is assigned by the United States. The ambassador only carries the message, right, of its government, okay? The ambassador is always a citizen of a different country, meaning, right, that the ambassador in Brazil or the ambassador in Paraguay or the ambassador in Australia from the United States is a citizen of the United States. So it is with us. We are no longer citizens. By putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are no longer citizens of the world. We are citizens of heaven. Our lives belong to Him. And while we are in a a different citizenship, we're in a different world, right? Our citizenship is in heaven, not in the world. But while we are ambassadors to the world, we're called to bring the message of our sovereign. Okay? I mean, Case in point, how many, th- how many ambassadors do you think would last very long if the United States government says, hey, we're sending you to this country, and when you get to this country, these are the things we want you to work on, and these are the things we want you to say. And to which the ambassador's like, oh, sure, okay, yeah, okay, thanks for letting me be the ambassador. Then he goes to the country, and he's kind of like, okay, look, I know the United States government wants me to work on this stuff and says this in its documents, but I think we're going to do something different how long do you think that would work not so cool right yet yet according to barna yet according to barna 78% of christians do just that god has said this is my sovereign as our sovereign he's told us this is my wisdom and this wisdom should shape and mold your emotions your actions and your lives and only 22% of people in in evangelical churches are willing to say okay now what was it that i was supposed to do we need to grow in that, right? We need to grow in that. And the reason we need to grow in that is because we are living in a world who is growing ever more hostile, hostile to the wisdom of God, okay? And it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. But I need you to understand a couple of different things. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that you might experience salvation, then you are involved, right? You're involved. If you're included in Christ, you are involved in the ministry of Christ. If you're included in Christ, you're involved in Christ. You can't separate them. If you're included in Christ, you're involved in Christ. Or dare I say, let me ask it the inverse way, just as a form of accountability. If you're not involved, are you included? That's between God and those. We need to grow, and God knows those who are His. But since we are included in Christ, we are involved in the work of Christ. That's the truth. That's where He says, you are my ambassadors. I am making my very appeal through you. And in the days and weeks ahead, as we go through our core values, we will continue to unpack that. As I said before, it's not hopeless. We just still grow. I'll tell you the truth. When Jesus, right, on, on Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus was raised from the dead, how many people in the world had a biblical worldview? Not very many. Matter of fact, according to what Joel said last, last Sunday, even though everybody heard that Jesus was raised from the dead, nobody believed it. <laughs> right? And in first century church, man, things started to grow. So through repentance and dependence upon Jesus and with enough people that are in this room, Right? There are opportunities to make a difference in the world. And it's not always easy, but that's why in 2 Corinthians, all over the place, it says, so we do not lose heart. In light of the truth of God, in light of His wisdom, we don't lose heart. So we are always good courage. We always have courage. I mean, these, th- these themes are constant throughout Scripture because it's not always easy. But it is what He's called us to in Christ Jesus. Since we are included May we be found faithful to be involved in the ministry and message of reconciliation. May we who desire relationship with an extraordinary God, understanding His love, be so compelled by that love that we are willing to grow and to share with other people. Trusting in Him always the difference that only He can make through His Son, Jesus. Now and until we see Him face to face. Will you please pray with me? Great God of heaven, we thank you so very much for each and everything that you have done, indeed lavished on us in your Son. He has done and t- taken our penalty and our punishment for sin, and you and your wisdom have accounted his righteousness as ours because you knew that we could never do it on our own. Forgive us for the times we think then that, that since we, you know, it's like, okay, I admit we couldn't do our salvation on our own, but now we can do the rest on our own. Uh, Lord, forgive us for that, because this morning we're convinced there isn't anything we can do that lasts forever without you at work in our lives. So Lord, use us here, stretch us, equip us, let us each of us grow in our understanding of your wisdom and of your word, so that we might share with others the accurate testimony of hope, joy, peace, and love, and a message of others being reconciled to you. In Jesus' name, amen. How you stop and think about that? If you change God, what salvation do you have? If you change God or His Word, what hope do you have? If we long for hope, we long for love, we long for these things of God, then let God be God, don't mess with His Word, and believe Him. Have a good week. Thanks for being here. Talk to you soon.